Hey everybody, welcome back to the Provo 36th YSA Come Follow Me podcast. My name is Samuel Robenheimer and I just really wanted to apologize for missing last week. I was super busy, had a lot of things come up and wasn't able to record. But with that being said, I hope that as you guys were studying last week's Come Follow Me, you were able to learn a lot about the atonement of Jesus Christ and how important it is in the lives of not only the people of the Old Testament and how central it was to their teachings, but how important it is to us and how it should bring us hope and peace and joy. And with that in mind, I did ask someone to share some thoughts on the atonement of Jesus Christ, and I'll let them introduce themselves, but I'm super excited. Um, Super, super awesome people in this ward, and I'm super grateful for everyone who has responded and given me some information and shared their thoughts with me. So thank you all very much. Hello everyone, I am Brooklyn Jones. I am going to BYU right now. I am a sophomore, junior, senior, and I'm studying molecular biology. And I'm originally from Canada, but my family is in Salt Lake City right now. This week, I've been able to focus a lot more on the atonement. And I think my whole life, I, I've i always been kind of confused about what it is because it's so intangible, I guess. And I've always kind of thought of the atonement as something that helps with repentance. We know that it's extremely important and that Christ did it for every world. But there was one monumental experience in my life that I had that helped me rethink what the atonement really is and there was a 70 that visited my mission elder defeo and he challenged us to find ways to use the atonement in every single action that we did in a day and after i heard that i thought there must be something that i'm missing from the atonement because i definitely am not thinking about it in every single action of the day there's a verse in third Nephi that helps me better understand how to do this. And it says, will ye not now return unto me, this is Christ speaking, and repent of your sins and be converted that I may heal you. And I love that verse because that is what the atonement is. It's this continual process of being converting, of being converted to the Lord. And it makes me think of our baptismal covenants as well, to always remember him. There's this beautiful cycle of trying to remember him in everything that we do, receiving his spirit as we're promised, and then being converted, just like the scripture says, being healed, being changed through the atonement, and experiencing the beautiful healing process of the atonement. And I've, I'm not perfect at this by any means, but when I have tried to think of how I can incorporate the atonement in every single action of the day, it gives so much more purpose into why I go to school, why I even live, why it's important for me to find ways to serve, why I choose to live the way that I do. And it's shaped my, my reason for wanting to be a disciple of Christ. Sometimes I think of the Garden of Eden and what a utopian-like place it was. 
but that there was no progress. And it wasn't until they used the atonement in their life by helping them conquer their own fall that they were able to become his disciple and to be healed and converted. And that gives me comfort when there are things that don't go well in my life or I fail a test or things aren't going well or I don't feel happy. But that's what life is supposed to be. We're not supposed to live in a utopian Garden of Eden with no worries. We are here to become healed and converted. And I'm so, so grateful for the atonement. You know, I love what Brooklyn had to say. And I love how she talked about how the atonement isn't just for repentance. It isn't just for when we make mistakes. It is for every aspect of our lives, and we should look for ways to incorporate it in every aspect of our lives. So super, super grateful for Brooklyn for being willing to share some of her thoughts on the atonement as she studied this last week. Um, And I am looking forward to other people sharing their thoughts, and I'm super grateful for it. In this week's Come Follow Me, there is a lot of interesting stuff um, in this coming week. As for those of you who may have seen, it is only... Moses 7 that we are studying this week, which is kind of fun because there's a lot of really, really good information in it, and it gives us the opportunity to study a little more in depth. Um, To kind of break it down, this week, the one, two, three, four, five, the five main topics are that Enoch's efforts are a pattern for building Zion in our own lives. God's people should strive to be of one heart and one mind. And then the question comes, what happened to the city of Enoch, or Enoch, however you pronounce it, um, depending on where you're from in this world? Um, God weeps for his children. And then in the last days, God will gather his elect. And I love all of these because of the simple things that they teach us. For the first one, I don't think I'm going to focus too much on it. I, I think as you study it, one of the prompts is to look at what those verses teach about Zion and then how do those teachings help us to build our efforts in building Zion, um, increase our efforts in building Zion. And a lot of the things that I noticed as I was studying was love, righteousness, um, missionary efforts, looking forward toward God and fearing the Lord, which if you think about the word fearing as you study it in the scriptures, it often just really means respecting and turning to. So kind of like you fear a king, you respect him, you are devoted to him. So really interesting stuff there. And then you also seek God. So those are kind of the the main things that stuck out to me as I was studying those verses. And I'm sure there are plenty of other things that I missed, but those are kind of the main thoughts that I had as I was studying on things that I could do better to build Zion. Um, And I'd love for you guys to share. If you have any thoughts as well, please feel free to text me, call me, DM me, whatever you you feel. The next section, um, the God's people should strive to be of one heart and one mind. There's kind of a prompt there, and it's talking about what are the things that they are doing that allow for them to be of one heart and one mind? And how does that help build Zion? And this is where most of my studying for this last week came. 
as well as what happened to the city of Enoch, because I feel like those two things tie together because of what they were doing to be of one heart and one mind. They were able to have what happened to them happen. So there are a handful of things, and I'm not going to ruin or spoil all any of them or many of them, but there is one I would like to mention. I believe it's in verse 18. It mentions other than the fact that they are of one heart and one mind and they dwell in righteousness, it says something along the lines of there are no poor among them. And when you first read that, you're like, okay, there are no poor among them. They have no one who does not have money. And you're like, okay, cool. That would be nice. I know being a college student, I would love to not be poor. But then you start thinking about poor and all of the things we can be poor with in our lives. So you can have poor health, you can have a poor of heart, you can be poor of the spirit, you can be poor of mind, you can, there are so many layers of how you could be poor. And it says that there were none who were poor among them, which is fascinating, because you have to understand that at this point, they are working together in order to achieve this. Being someone who is a psychology major, I, as I was reading that, I started thinking a lot about humanism. For anyone who does not know what humanism is or the theory of humanism in psychology, it is the belief that all people are innately good or naturally good and want to achieve their highest potential and are not able to because of the lack of needs being met, which is super cool to think about because... If you've ever heard of like Maslow's hierarchy of human needs and all these things, like these people are working together so well that they are meeting all of each other's needs and they are supporting and growing and building and lifting each other up in such a way that nobody is poor in any sense of the word, which is fascinating because like humanism psychology suggests, people are only able to achieve their fullest potential while their needs are being met, all of their needs. Which comes into the next session, you know, what happened to the city of Enoch. As you're reading, there's different sayings that says like taken up, they get caught up, they get lifted up, they they flit like the city fled. But as you're reading, you realize that these people have become so perfect that they have been translated. So translation, transfiguration, two different things. Um, But for the sake of translation, it just means that as a mortal being, you become immortal without experiencing death, which is super really, really cool. Would be very nice to not ever have to experience death. But Also, you read that and you're like, how are these people so perfect? How are they able to be perfect? Because we're humans, we cannot be perfect. But it goes back to, they were, among other things, I mean, they were dwelling in righteousness. They had Christ as their king, as I believe it mentions in verse 53. Um, Like their king was Christ. So not like the literal Christ on earth, but they devoted all of what they had to Christ, who was their king. So they're doing a lot of things among the fact that they are supporting each other perfectly. But from an evolutionary 
psychology perspective, it's also fascinating going back to kind of humanism and evolutionary psychology. If you look at the earliest human beings or humanoid figures in history, they were never the toughest, biggest, meanest, baddest creatures out there. I mean, if you're on your own, you're going to get killed by a lion or an elephant or a bear or something. Something is going to wreck your day if you're on your own. But the only reason why human beings survived is because of their ability to work together to support and grow and build each other. And that is why human beings are still here today, is because of our ability to work together. Because, believe it or not, we're still not the biggest creatures out there, and there are still lots of things that are stronger, better than us in certain aspects. But we work together. So the the things that we can learn from the city of Enoch being translated, all of those people becoming immortal and being taken up to heaven to live with God, we learn that, first off, perfection is possible in this life. And there's a lot of places that suggest it in the New Testament as well as the Book of Mormon. And then also, if I remember correctly, Jeffrey R. Holland mentioned something along the lines of, it is possible in this life. It takes a lot of effort and is very, very, very hard. And like humanism psychology suggests, not a lot of people meet their full potential on this earth because it's incredibly hard to have all of your needs perfectly met. But perfection is possible in this life. And it, the second thing we learn is that it is only possible through uniting our efforts with others and working together, which is fascinating because you look at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we're all unique. We're all different. We're all so not the same. <laughs> But as we work together, we create something that grows. And it mentions in this chapter, covers the world as if it were a flood, right? The gospel spreads, the church grows, the people learn the gospel because we work together. So that's something that I'd like you guys to think about. And the book also suggests that the Come Follow Me handbook suggests looking at this chapter and thinking about how you could improve your efforts in building Zion, in helping the people of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as well as the people who are not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, achieve their full potential. How can you better your efforts as a representative of the Lord, being a member of his church, being trusted with his knowledge and his gospel in your life. Going forward, the next section is one of my favorites, and I'm not going to talk much about the last section. In the last days, God will gather his elect. I mean, as we all know, missionary work, missionary efforts, those who are God's elect are elected by faith, as we read in the Book of Mormon and the New Testament. God chooses his people based on their faith and their diligence and their effort to follow him. And God is gathering his elect because of the faith that they have in him. So it's not him picking and choosing, oh, you are better than other people. It's him saying, who has faith enough to come unto me? 
But going back to God weeps for his children, there are so many sections in this chapter where you read about God's feelings that he has for his children and the the weeping that he does for his children. And I'd like to just read really quickly before I end this thought, today's thought. It comes from Moses 7, of course, verses 28 and 29. And then I'm going to jump to 30, but I'm going to explain 30 and 31 before I read 30. And I hope to be able to read this in a way that the Spirit will help you see how important you are to God. Um, I guess a little bit of backstory. The city of Enoch has just been translated, and God is looking at all of the people who are not righteous, the people who are left on the earth. And he is talking with Enoch. And it says, And it came to pass that the God of heaven looked upon the residue of the people, and he wept. And Enoch bore record of it, saying, How is it that the heavens weep and shed forth their tears as the rain upon the mountains? And Enoch said unto the Lord, How is it that thou canst weep, seeing thou art holy, and from all eternity to all eternity? I love those verses because God starts weeping for his children who are not righteous. And Enoch's like, dude, what, what is going on? Why are you crying? And you, you read in verse 30 and 31, Enoch's reasoning as to why God shouldn't be crying. You know, he's like, look, you have everything. You have sands upon sands on millions of planets and millions of earths and worlds. And you have children on all of these worlds. You have eternal power. You have control and command over the heavens. Why does this hurt you? And in verse 32, the Lord responds, it says, the Lord said unto Enoch, behold, these thy brethren, they are the worksmanship of mine own hands. And I gave unto them their knowledge in the day I created them. And in the garden of Eden, I gave unto man his agency. And he continues to explain to Enoch why he is sad over his unrighteous children. But the power that that phrase gives me, behold these thy brethren, they are the worksmanship of mine own hands. Like it says in Moses chapter 1 verse 39, Everything that God does, everything that he has, his whole joy is his children here on earth. And seeing the pain that we go through, seeing the suffering that we experience because of our choices in not following God and breaking his commandments, it hurts him and he weeps. He wants us to return to live with him. And on the flip side, when we are following him, when we do have the spirit, when we are at our happiest, he is happy. He experiences everything. I like to believe it's a lot like my father, my earthly father. Um, I'm a swimmer or was a swimmer um, in high school. And since I was like five years old, I was competitively swimming. But 
I would get in the pool and I'd swim a race. And every time I did well, every time I got a new best time or I won my race, I would see the joy on my father's face as I accomplished something good, as I bettered myself. And I could see the joy in his eyes and the pure love that my father had for me. But then when I make mistakes or I do something that causes me pain, I can see how much my father is affected by it. And I'm sure my dad is frustrated with me all the time when I make stupid choices, but it hurts him to see me hurt. And I think that is symbolic in and of itself of how God feels. The only difference is God feels it perfectly. He knows the weight of the situation. He knows what we're going through, but he also knows how much pain we are causing ourselves and how hard it will be for us to return to live with him as we continue to make bad choices. And that is what hurts him. I I love that. And I know I talked about that quite a bit, but I hope you guys can realize how important this whole chapter is in helping us understand not only how we can better ourselves and grow the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and find God's elect, but how much we truly mean to God. If there is nothing else we take from this Old Testament study this year, I hope you guys can recognize as we study everything that God does for his children. I know we see it in the Bible or the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, but the Old Testament especially brings a little bit more of God's human side into it, I'd like to say. His side where he experiences pain, he experiences frustration, but still ceases to or does not cease to love us. He does not cease to care for us and support us. And I love that. Thank you so much for listening. I know this episode is a little bit longer, but I really felt that the information that was shared today was incredibly important for you guys. And I hope that as we continue to go forward, more and more of you would be willing to share your thoughts and some of the ideas that you have as you've studied. Thank you guys so much and have a fantastic rest of your week. Good luck studying.